What if our capacity to imagine has been so badly damaged by the information climate of our times that destruction is all we can see? What if deforming our ability to imagine the present is precisely what governments and power structures do to control us? And what if I told you we have the power to change this? I believe we do. To seize this power requires a radical change in perspective, however. To do so, we need to take one tool being vandalized before our very eyes, language, and reclaim it and redefine what it means to be an ethical citizen in the present moment. Hello, this is Rick, and welcome to this channel of my podcast, Words for Now and Later. The words that I just read are by Mr. John Freeman in his Dictionary of the Undoing. If this is your first time listening to this channel of my podcast, I recommend you go back to the first episode, A is for Agitate, and you'll hear there what I am seeking to do with this particular podcast. What I'm going to do here is talk about L is for love. Now, I think it's significant that L is for love follows K is for killing because Mr. Freeman starts L is for love by saying love is the opposite of killing. And then he goes on in the very first paragraph on page 73 to give a, a really, I think, powerful definition of love. And before we, we begin this conversation about what Mr. Freeman has to say, I want to say this, that this is not a religious book, okay? It is a book about being citizens that can overturn the cynicism and the hatred and the violence and the oppression, really, that we are facing by systems, call them the powers and principalities, if you want to use the language of St. Paul. So Mr. Freeman is using words that we might associate with other contexts, like love. But you'll hear in this first paragraph that love has another role and a role in the undoing that he calls us, invites us to do. He says, love only gives because giving is love. In this regard, the most radical, hopeful act one can perform as a citizen is to love freely, deeply, and articulately. This is how a decent society is built, outside its laws and continual quest for justice. All of us have reservoirs of love we do not give. We need to set them free. He goes on then to say, um, also on page 73, giving love creates more love and more energy to give it. The notion that love is ours to spend, that is, that it is a transaction, shows how deeply we've internalized the system of capitalism under which we live. Not every resource we have is fungible, which means able to be replaced by something else, in case you're not familiar with that word. I wasn't. I had to look it up. Not every resource we have is fungible or able to be replaced by something else, Love sometimes is only love. Or in other words, love is irreplaceable. There's no other resource that can replace love. He goes on to say uh, and use a couple of words that we've already encountered in his exploration. Fairness is a tributary of love. So is justice. If we love the world, the life we are given, the most loving thing we can do is to share it with others to ensure all people have equal access to this world. It's page 74. 
He goes on then to critique something in our culture. He says, much of our culture is structured around a similar model of love migrating only upward. This idea that we shower our love, our adoration upon um, famous people, sports stars, musicians, politicians, whomever it might be, that love only flows in one direction. And it's only this synthetic, superficial, uh, really lifeless love as it flows upward and not outward from us. He though says, if we are lucky though, all of us remember what real love feels like. It's not that adoration or worship of the celebrity figure. It's connection with our fellow humans, our fellow citizens. He then continues and concludes the short reflection on love by saying all our prophets, whatever religion one belongs to, spoke of the necessity of loving the weak, the needy, the overlooked. If we were to indulge in this kind of love, warm, indiscriminate, passionate love in our lives, the tyrannies we face could not control us any more than one person could stop a river from flowing downhill. And that's on page 76. So inspiring and poetic and maybe surprising words about love in a text or uh, book of this kind. Stay with me through the short break. And when we return, we're going to talk about love in action in this present moment, this moment of pandemic, this moment of uprising, this moment in which I'm recording this. And thank you for staying with me through the break. I have a U2 song running around in my head because I've been listening to more of the band U2, my favorite band, I should say, on the new Sirius XM U2X channel. Um, just a little sales pitch here, a little plug. I don't get any money for this, but Sirius is doing a four-month trial for free right now. Highly recommend it. Anyway, the song that I am running through my head is Love is Bigger Than Anything in Its Way. I'll put a link to the video of that song on my uh, companion website, my blog, actually, edtechemergent.com. I think another way of thinking of that song is love is more powerful than anything in its way. And I'm thinking about the moment in which we live and the way love is being shown. You know, early on in the lockdown, in the pandemic that we are living, we saw the frontline workers, as they called them, the, the doctors and the nurses and everyone that worked in hospitals that were full of the infected with this uh, terrible virus, this mysterious and ever puzzling and baffling virus. We saw the love and the generosity that was being given by those folks. And we saw that in other frontline workers, the delivery workers, the people who were making our food for restaurant takeouts, the stockers and the checkers in, in grocery stores and, and so forth. People who are literally putting their lives at risk each and every day. And we know that their lives were at risk because people have counted the number of doctors or nurses who died because of the work that they did or EMTs or hospital workers or uh, clerks and stores. And they're not small numbers of, of people who died because of their work. 
And I think those of us who weren't in those frontline jobs, who were sitting at home, um, maybe getting bored, maybe getting restless. I know I was teaching, so I wasn't that bored. But we were able to celebrate them. We were able to, to feel for them, to pray for them, to donate to them because of an important part of love, which is empathy, being able to see and to know what it might be like to be someone else, to be able to have that compassion, to be able to console, to be able to be generous, to be able to give and to be able to love. And I think we are living in a time though, where the leadership, and and this is the highest level of leadership, POTUS 45 is, I call him, just doesn't have that empathy, that doesn't have that compassion. And I was reminded of that because we're about to have another group of frontline workers, right? There's this huge and important and significant drive to get back to school, to have kids face-to-face in the classroom. And and that's huge. And I, I know that and I support that. That being said, there is a risk that teachers like myself and others will be under. And unless we can get personal protective equipment, unless we can get clear uh, guidelines and boundaries and, and all sorts of different things must be in place to ensure our safety. And how do we know that teachers might be unsafe? Well, you might have seen the story. I'll put a link to it of the teacher. I believe it, she was out west who was teaching summer school and got COVID from her teaching role and died. And I was just stunned when I heard a audio clip of the president, POTUS 45, being asked in the press conference earlier this week about that teacher. What can you say about that? And it was such a softball question. It was it was a question in which a, a president, a leader would have said, well, my heart goes out to their family and teachers are these important people. And you know the drill, you know the words that literally any other president would have said but no POTUS 45 is driven by one thing and one thing only his own self-interest and his response was stunning he said well we must open schools we have to open schools and that was it nothing else and that is killing us really because remember the opposite of love is killing and love is the opposite of killing. And when we have leaders and when we have people who follow those leaders blindly, who enable those leaders, that's not love. And we're seeing how people die because of that, how people are dying because of that, because of selfishness for the people that don't wear masks, for the people who are entitled, who think that they can go about business as usual just because they want it to be business as usual. It's not, it's not. We're living in a time of, of crisis and love is bigger than anything in its way, but we must choose to love. Love is rational in some ways. We use reason and logic and science and we trust facts, but we also love unreasonably caring for those who need it the most and knowing as Mr. Freeman reminds us that love is not limited. Like we believe so much is limited in our 
culture, our capitalistic, our late stage capitalistic culture, and that love is not fungible. There's a vocabulary word for you, maybe one for me from this reading. There's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like love. And for a citizen, there is no greater calling than to love his or her fellow human beings. And I would also say love creation as a whole. So I'm going to end this now. And I think I'm going to go listen to some U2. And I hope that this has helped you to understand how love is not a mushy, sentimental, romantic, erotic type of thing only. It's a force, a force of nature. It's a political force. It's a force that moves mountains because love is bigger than anything in its way. Thanks for listening. Blessings and peace.